Welcome to episode three of Steady Lads. We have a good one this week. We have market manipulation. We have casino coins. We have a new segment, so I'm pretty excited. And, uh, you know, we just got some market news as well. So no quiet time in crypto. Yeah, so I guess there's there's two big things happening. The first is this news out of Binance that ties into what we discussed last week. So as you can see here, Binance actually, Binance Labs bought $5 million of the CRV token, which is just wild, right? Um, congrats to, to Curve, I suppose. Um, I didn't see this coming. I also didn't see all of the sort of OTC purchases happening over the last week. I did not predict that would happen, but it looks like wealthy people in the crypto space stepped up and bought these CRV tokens. I'm surprised by it, um, but it happened. And uh, this is just this is just more curve buy pressure and, and you know, deleveraging of Mitch's position. So great for the curve ecosystem. Good for broader DeFi as a whole. I still don't think the core issue has been solved. Um, Mitch's position is still too large to liquidate and too large to sell. But this definitely solves the issue in the short term. I'm curious what you guys think. Yeah, so I mean, we've looked at the cold curve situation last week. I think ultimately it's come down to individual actors having the incentive just for themselves and, and for their own profit or maybe for their optics because it starts to look, you know, that you're good for the for the ecosystem if you're supporting curve. And we've seen multiple people step in. I think, you know, Wintermute bought a chunk. We saw Cream Finance, so uh, Machi Big Brother, who had invested a couple million. Now some of the loan has moved from Ave to to Cream. So he's been willing to take it as a collateral, even though Ave is not willing to um, to take any more curve as collateral. So it looks like, you know, it's going to survive. It's going to live to fight another day. And I think we have to um, not thank people. I think everyone's acting for their own selfish interests. And it's just kind of worked out that this is a safe curve. Um, Tiki, I know you've been looking at this very closely. What do you make of the latest developments? Yeah, yeah curve price just popped like you know, 8% on the news. Um, Binance is definitely like a nice signal, I think. Um, probably one of the most legitimate um, buyers out of people that have announced so far. Um, I, I believe right now his he's taken down his loan balance on Aave from around 45 million to around 25. So definitely a lot more manageable for the uh, you know Aave lenders to manage the risk. And um, yeah, I, I think this, um, I guess, alleviation of FUD should be good for you know, the ecosystem as a whole and just like, uh, you know, more risk on behavior. But just to be clear, Thicky, um, it's not, he hasn't lowered his collateral. He's lowered his borrow amount, right? So the, he still has the same amount of curve tokens deposited. He's just paid back a lot of that USDT, right? Yes, exactly. He has pulled out some curve as well, but yeah, he's definitely paid back more than he's pulled out. I did see he was using, um, I forget, another uh, like a long tail niche lending platform he added and took out a new loan, I think on Cream, I saw for like 10 million stable coin, dollars of stable coins. Yeah, I'm pretty surprised at how, like, my, how many buyers stepped in. It seems like, you know, initially, uh, you know, it's like these colorful characters like Machi, Big Brother, Cream Finance, etc. Um, and then we know the, the head of Wintermeet was like, okay, like we're not associating with these people. Uh, but as more and more of the debt got covered, uh, you know, even, even Wintermeet, Wintermeet stepped in, uh, more, I guess, reputable characters stepped in. Um, and like you said, Justin, like the, the core issue is not resolved, right? Like all these lending markets, they have to, you know, squeeze Mitch over time. Um, but it gives Michael time um, and all the, like the bad debt fears, I think, is mostly alleviated. Um, and you know, like crypto, like people have small attention spans, like 
in a few weeks or so, like, I don't think people will be talking about it and people will be, you know, trying to ape into like the next narrative, uh, that's going to be hot at this, you know, like, yeah, there's, we definitely have a goldfish mindset in crypto. Everyone forgets and moves on within a week or two at most. Uh, the other thing before we get into the main topics that I know we wanted to cover, and I know you have some thoughts on Jordy are the new CPI numbers came out. So CPI was 3.2%, which is slightly up. But core came in at, I believe, about 4.7%, which seems to be a modest improvement. The S&P is up 1.2%, NASDAQ's up 1.5%, BTC and ETH are up a little bit, but mostly flat. Um, so these numbers are a little bit better than I guess the market was hoping for. What are your thoughts, Jordy? Yeah, you know, there's been a lot of fear that we're going to get back into inflation uh, part two. We've already had part one and we do have a bottom at this point. You know, markets are pretty happy that it's not happening as as aggressively as feared. I, I do think next month could be pretty bad. We could we could see quite a quite a big increase once again. But uh, in the meantime, we are seeing that you know S and P is potentially getting out of this choppy range we've seen uh, since the beginning of August, and we're seeing it potentially start to poke up back over the forty five fifty um, kind of cap that it's had recently. And, you know, that would be great for Bitcoin. Absolutely. So keeping an eye on that, um, you know, there is ETF announcements coming soon. And uh, I don't think we want to get into it because, you know, every day these things can can change when it comes to the announcement. Is it going to be postponed? And, and probably, I guess it will, we might have a postponement. Um, but in the meantime, uh, you know, this week, I think we saw one of the most brazen acts of market manipulation uh, I want to get into. And uh, we have a nice chart that uh, basically, I guess, to give the background, uh, there was a listing on Binance of uh, YGG perpetual futures. Uh, and this led to a ramp up and then initially a huge spike in price. You can see that the liquidations kicked in and uh, we really got to a dollar, which was you know a five or six X from, uh, from the listing price a few days ago. Um, and then one of the most quick and sudden and ruthless collapses uh, I've witnessed of a major coin, you know, major in the sense of the amount of trading activity that was happening on YGG was in the tens of billions. I mean, it was capturing more than 10% of the global volume on this day. So this really got the attention. There are things I've never seen in my life before. We were getting pinged by the exchanges, by certain exchanges. I'm not, I won't mention. Just telling us, hey, have you seen the action on YGG? You guys need to get on, in on this. Like, this was a very uh, coordinated grab for attention on this token. And a lot of people have messaged me on, on Twitter DM saying that they got liquidated either on the long or short side. <laughs> both, uh, both sides, people got hurt. I think... You know, on the long side, people wanted to catch this momentum uh, and they got caught, I guess, uh, on the reversion. So I guess this tweet is what we want to dig into here. So right before this really kicked off, we have um, one of the, I guess, founders or, or CEO of, of DWF Labs, which is a notorious now market maker, um, saying publicly that, you know, this token is going to be bringing, uh, let's see, sustainability and power. And we definitely saw some power. I don't know about sustainability. 
Um, Thicky, what was your impression trading this? I know you were kind of looking through throughout this period on, on this coin. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think so. For me, it was Saturday morning. For you, I think it was Saturday afternoon. I woke up. Everyone's just talking about YGG in the group chats. You know, it's like the OI, uh, the open interest on this like derivatives contract is like 2x the size of the market cap. There's obviously like a lot of leverage built up in the system. And it, it just seemed obvious that like it was just going to like explode up. Um, so me and Jordy, I think both like set some the limits on the short side on, on that first wick to the left of the tweet to just basically just catch the unwinding of the leverage and then just, you know, make some profits uh, sort of mean reverting it down. Um, so it wicked the first time to like 0 0.6, it drew down down to like 0.4-ish. I remember, I remember we were both discussing like, should we cover here? Should we keep going? Um, I think, I think you covered, uh, at like, I did point four. Mm -hmm. and, um, yeah, I, I unfortunately kept letting it ride a little bit. I ended up covering like 0.44. So like, uh, 10% higher, but then as soon as like somebody posted the fact that this DWF guy tweeted about YGG and, um, this guy's like very notorious for mark manipulation and pump and dumping coins. Um, so as soon as that happened, like, you know, the market started ripping and, uh, yeah, it just went all the way up to one. It was kind of crazy. I missed the last end. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I was short, <laughs> I was personally short as a round two, you know, I had a successful round one and then I, I expected there would be like a second <laughs> pump and I, I, I did try to short. Um, I do not suggest anybody do this. I have a, a thread on Twitter. I wrote it back a while back ago about how shorting is a dark art and uh, talking about some of the things to watch out. But if you are at risk of getting liquidated, you will lose this game because you they will just wick it both ways. Um, and you know the the degree to which it was publicly announced surprised me because usually we have this like Binance cartel conspiracy theories, people talking about you know Illuminati moving the markets. But in this case, we have a visible market maker telling us that uh, we we actually have their backing in, in pumping this. And it got me thinking of this scene from uh, from the big short. I don't know, if Justin, if you, if you can pull it up quickly. Right alone on Friday afternoon. Big bank is going to buy it by Monday lunch. Yeah, same here. Could you hold on a second? Yeah. I don't get it. Why are they confessing? They're not confessing. They're bragging. Do people have any idea what they are buying? See, I I focus on the immigrants. You know, once they find out they're getting home, they sign. Where you tell them <laughs> the, the the bragging part is uh, is surprising to me. And and you know, we can we can talk about traditional markets and why this stuff doesn't happen. But that last line is also interesting. He says, "Do people even know what they're buying?" And I think they don't really know what they're buying and it's just a token. It's a YGG. People don't know what it, what it even is. And, uh, ultimately they're just trying to trade a chart, right? Yeah. I, I, Jordy and Thicky, I want to ask you guys, like, who's doing this? Why is it happening? And what's like, why are these people doing it? What, what's the motive here? Like, is it, is it just pure manipulation? They just pick a random token and it has nothing to do with the token itself, the project, they're just picking something that's easily pumpable. They're positioning themselves ahead of time and trying to profit. Like what, what's actually happening here and how are they doing it? So I think they choose a certain segment of tokens that can really achieve what they wanted to achieve. And, you know, 
we can see like if there's some announcement, you know, I don't want to comment about this token or, or the CEO of this specific project. And maybe she does believe that, you know, her announcement of a super quest or, or whatever is going on at YGG is representative of why this thing, you know, goes up by like a five X in a day. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact that she's quote tweeting DWF will presumably is, is somebody that she's done business with on, on this token, uh, shows me that maybe, maybe they understand what's actually happening. So this is, this is a situation where it's plain and simple. It's wild west. You have somebody who corners the market and, I don't want to get into, into it too much this time, but the fact that perpetuals are this new concept, it doesn't exist in traditional finance, is very relevant to the story and why this stuff works. Perpetuals are very much a crypto concept, right? Like this kind of started with BitMEX and Arthur and they kind of created this. Traditional finance has calendar futures. And with calendar futures, the difference is at the end, there's an expiry date and somebody has to deliver something to somebody else and things get settled. So you kind of have this, market manipulation antidote because people ultimately have to settle at this price at the end of the day. What happens with perpetuals is that you have a funding rate, which is used to kind of link to spot the spot market. And here's where it gets tricky. If the spot market is tiny, as in YGG, you can move the market, you know, with with a little bit of the supply, these markets are very illiquid right now. Meanwhile, you have a perpetual market that trades at like you know hundreds the size of uh, of what the spot market is doing, then you can have these opportunities for like a crazy amount of market manipulation because people can move the spot price by cornering a segment of uh, of the supply, especially if they're working with the project directly and getting a chunk of the supply, and then at some point just crash down the the perpetual price, and that's kind of what we saw, and it was it was very brazen. What, what were you thinking, Thicky, when when things started? crashing down yeah 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 i i thought it was I, I guess i think we all kind of expected it um it's it's really interesting how similar this is to like what they used to do back in the day with like cornering the silver market or cornering whatever market um these guys so the the ceo is like an ex he, he used to be the ceo of uh Hobi russia and he started this year um dwf and he just started slinging money to projects left and right like hundreds of millions of dollars in the middle of the bear market. So it definitely caught eyes. There's been a lot of like rumors or just talks about that the fact that he was maybe, well, maybe I shouldn't get into it, but maybe just like, I don't know, sketchy, sketchy upbringings is basically the, the gist behind it. Um, so it's essentially his, his strategy is to partner with projects that are like pretty much dead that have a very small, um, supply of spots. He gets a significant supply and basically just out of the blue one day, he'll just bonk up the price. And I think the meta with crypto participants is they'll see that, oh, the price is up. This is free money if I go sell it. Because like usually the average participants, you know, kind of dumb and this like works a lot more. Um, But what happens is he just keeps bonking the price up. People keep betting that it'll go down. And eventually there's so much leverage built up that the price will go down that like when the price does like eventually go up 2x or something, then everyone like basically runs out of collateral and has to close the position, which is why we see these like weird little patterns in the chart is he bonks it up, bonks it up, bonks it up to a point where like pretty much everyone uh, has to close and it just like goes parabolic. And then that's when he goes and sells his supply and supposedly, or hopefully, I don't know, hopefully, but you know, pockets a large sum of money for doing this. And I was looking at like DWF labs, their Twitter page and their first 
line in the bio is building the future of Web3 together. <laughs> and then, like, <laughs> they're definitely building some a different type of future. Um, but I guess like, you know, if you're, if market participants are shorting this, then maybe they have their stop losses at a dollar and like, let's get a really easy target. Right. Um, and even like after like YGG started going up, I mean, I was looking at YGG, like I think one or two years ago, I think it's literally like a GameFi token of like, they have a bunch of, I don't know, like people that play Axie Infinity or something. Um, and like the token gets some revenue or like whatever, uh, Obviously, like, you know, I mean, obviously the fundamentals don't matter in the case. Um, but I also saw people like trying to like bid up other GameFi tokens. Uh, and, you know, it definitely slim pickings in the crypto markets right now. Uh, and people are like chasing narratives, looking for things to like just even feel dopamine uh, and like even get some sliver of PL. What's interesting to me is that because crypto is such an international market and anyone has access to these everyone has access to these products wherever they're based. It seems to me like something you can't really regulate or protect for because there's always going to be a jurisdiction where people can get, get away with this. So I do wonder what the solution is, if there is any, or if this is just something we live with for these like long tail or liquid assets. That's a great point. So, you know, my personal journey in, uh, in trading started from a poker background and playing poker, you're always like Taiki knows, you know, you're thinking about GTO and what's the optimal, what's the exact perfect response to everyone's move. And you kind of like reach this game theory optimal um, strategy, which takes into account everything that the other person can do. So I get into trading and, you know, I was working for one of the largest HFTs in the world. And I realized that in trading, it, does, it doesn't work with GTO. Uh, you can't just like try to manipulate prices in your favor. There's all these rules, insider trading laws and spoofing laws and all kinds of market manipulation. You have CFTC and CME, and these guys will come after you for anything. They'll give you millions of fines. They'll ban you. There's all these things happening. And why are they doing it? Because they want to have healthy markets. Healthy markets means the prices are kind of not getting manipulated. It means no one's like spoofing the exchanges with a bunch of junk where you know the matching engine gets clogged up and, and you can't like actually properly process trades. So because they want the healthy functioning, they stop the GTO play from happening. Now what we're seeing in crypto 10 years later, <laughs> I'm going back to the poker days because uh, there's no CFTC CME right now that's on top of Binance. Now, you know, Coinbase, some of these other ones could be a different story. But when it comes to some of these offshore exchanges right now, at least, you know, BitGet and some of these other ones that are not really under uh, CFTC, you're seeing the potential for GTO strategies. And GTO means we're not friends. If you're retail and I can wick you up and wick you down and you're trading perpetuals with like the wrong leverage settings, I will come after you. And the thing that surprises me is that they're publicly like taking credit for this because it. It's ethically, you know, questionable. You can kind of say, you know, to Wild West, anyone, anyone can do what they want. But usually you would, you would keep quiet and, and kind of do it behind the scenes. And it is surprising to me that we're seeing this behavior front and center and bragging, you know, like they're confessing, but they're bragging about it uh, to kind of show how important they are and how much they can move markets. And my feeling is they're trying to create a, uh, something that we saw with Hasaka, last bull market, where they want to have this reputation that if they tell you a token, you better buy it because it's going up, which is what we saw, you know, with, with some of the influencers last cycle. And um, maybe it'll work. I mean, I was surprised this Grachev guy, you know, he might become a meme. There is a, there's a meme already going around in trading circles that we can put up. Um, 
but he's trying to be a main character. He has main character vibes all about him. He only has like 5,000 followers right now, but you know, if these pump and dumps continue, I think, uh, I think we could see a new main character. So you think the end game is, you know, he can just tweet like at some point he doesn't even have to like actually move the market himself. He has enough social expectation that he's going to do that, that he can just tweet it and the market will move in the way he wants it to potentially, you know, but a lot of people try to avoid becoming the main character because we usually see what happens to <laughs> it's a game of Thrones type <laughs> of uh, situation usually. So, you know, good luck to the new one and uh, we'll see how it plays out. All hail Greta. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I I think like a lot of people have been saying that like there's some regulatory arm here. It's like, oh, they're all based in Russia. So like, what is anyone going to do about it? I, I think like the, I, I guess like the solution ultimately has to lie with Binance. Like they should be the ones to control any market manipulation on their platform. Just like how let's say CME, you know, controls any market. And then like the test for market manipulation is very like subjective. It's just like, is this order bona fide? Like if, are you buying because you want to buy this or are you buying just to manipulate someone else? And you know, like that sort of test needs to be there, I think for the future in order for like healthier markets per se. Um, that is like one of the main issues that SEC has with uh, Bitcoin ETF is like, oh, Coinbase only trades like three or five, you know, single digit percentages of the spot volume. So like in most of it's on Binance and if there's clear like brazen market manipulation going on and there's no oversight, then like they're kind of worried for, you know, investor money going into this Bitcoin ETF. So definitely like an ongoing, yeah. like, I guess, like existential issue uh, for the crypto markets. Absolutely. I agree Like the exchanges are the ones that have to be careful with this. And all the manipulators need is the listing. Once they have the listing on the exchange, you know, they need the exchange. It's a, it's an essential ingredient of being able to play these games. And the only people who could stop it is, you know, if there's VCs that have coins of that specific project and, and they're ready to like dump on the manipulator as soon as he spikes it up, that's one way to do it. You know, they'll cause losses. But if there are no, you know, whales that are able to, uh, to kind of prevent the movement, then the exchanges ultimately have to, uh, you know, step in, maybe lock accounts, give warnings. And I think that's what the future holds. But this kind of gets to the next question. You know, DeFi is supposed to be permissionless. And if you have this thing on a DeFi platform or, you know, a very unregulated platform, um, we can get into like Rollbit and Open Exchange and some of these other ones. But if you if you had this on, on somewhere like that, it's just up to the user to learn not to do it. Otherwise, they're, they're going to get liquidated. So maybe it is a personal responsibility, Ayn Rand, you know, Fountainhead type of situation. Um, Taiki, what do you what what do you see it going? If if they can go anywhere, they can go to DeFi, right? Yeah, and. Of course, like, you know, with all these decentralized perp exchanges, like as long as there's a chain link Oracle, like any market can list like whatever token. Um, and with these, you know, decentralized perps platforms, it, if you go to like the UI UX, it's kind of predatory. Um, like most of these platforms, they do like 100 to 150x max leverage. And that's sometimes like the default. Um, and I also think that, you know, other centralized Maybe you know perps platforms like Rollbit um, and Open Exchange. Open Exchange they're like leading harder into like the meme aspect. Like Open Exchange, uh, the you know the the exchange with like Susie and Cal Davies, um, they're listing the Bitcoin token, right? The Harry Potter, Obama, Sonic, Taninu, um, and Rollbit um, doing like 50x leverage. And I think you can use both of those tokens as collateral. Um, so they're really going like super hard into like the current zeitgeist of like meme coins going crazy, like these micro communities forming with like tokens that like pump 
crazy hard. Yeah, so speaking of Rollbit, we, we see Open Exchange, which is uh, also taking a, a road less traveled, and they are using Rollbit tokens as collateral, uh, which is something very new, and as well as the, the Bitcoin number two, the, the Harry Potter Sonic Inu Bitcoin. Um, they're saying that they're giving demand to, to these tokens, and that is a, a unique uh, position. Uh, do you think it's good or bad, Taiki? I mean, like you said, it's like it's like targeting different users, right? Like the Harry Potter, Obama, Sonic, Tenny New, like their community is insane. Like, I don't know if you saw those memes of like that guy, like like full naked, like just painting his body with like the Sonic colors and like riding like a go-kart <laughs> going round and round. But, you know, it's become like this entire new community. And of course, like Robit has also um, a strong community that comes natural after a token pumps really, really hard. Um, and I, I think... When they first launched, right, Open Exchange, I think the first day, 24-hour volume was like $14. And that was like this meme of like, oh my God, like, okay, like Suzu and Kyle Davies, like, like a failed product. Uh, but now, um, given they're, they keep listing these new uh, meme coins, uh, they also listed like Milady Futures. Uh, I think their last 24-hour volume um, update was like $100 million. Um, and that's, you know, exceeding that of, I guess, decentralized perps. Um, and, you know, it's a pretty respectable number. Um, and I actually looked into OpenExchange. Um, I tried to, like, make an account. Um, they take the KYC part, like, really seriously. Um, so on the surface, it seems like they're listing, you know, like, these shit coins or, like, whatever you want to call it. Um, but I think the exchange itself, like, they're going, like, very by the book. Um, and I think that whole FTX claim thing where, you know, if you lost money on FTX, you can uh, gain immediate liquidity for like whatever your claims are, instead of like waiting, like having to wait 10 years um, to, you know, hope that you get money back. I think that's also useful. Um, and I think, you know, this is also uh, ties into the, our previous conversation, but, you know, OX, right? Um, it's trading at like a 300 million circuit market cap, like 700 million FTV. Um, of course, like some people in the industry, they don't want to support Cal Davies and Suzu, their project. Um, but I think if you think about the coin itself in a vacuum and like the risk reward, I mean, 3AC, like, and like, uh, you know, they're very incentivized, like pump this token, right? Um, they own a significant chunk of the supply. I doubt they're going to sell at, you know, even like a billion, two billion, three billion dollar FTV. Um, and if you kind of view this OX token as like a social token for 3AC, um, I can definitely see this thing coming up with a vengeance. Um, and if you look, go through their docs as well, um, they, they're trying to be like the, like, a more transparent um, and like you know the people's version of the of like FTX and FTX you know they raised like a thirty two billion dollar valuation so like what do you guys think about the open exchange token um, it's been live for a few months right now it's doing hundred million dollars in volume uh, I'm sure that's going to go over time like do, are you guys okay buying this token uh, do you have moral problems against that um, or are you just like or is that like uh, or am I like just overthinking um, this entire thing around trying to profit off of you know some of these crypto tokens. I can answer this one. Um, so I have like a tiny bit of Ox, not like nearly enough to, you know, shill it. So I think I can be remain objective on this. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. Like, I don't know if any like real legal charges have been brought up against Sue and Kyle yet. So it like, I guess the verdict is still out yet, whether like they actually did anything wrong or not. Um, at least for now, like there hasn't been anything brought up. And like one would imagine that like if there was something that like they could be sued for, then they should have already and it should be public. But um, I guess just in terms of the exchange, um, I know they partnered up with CoinFlex, which was like also another bankrupt, um, you know, exchange from the last cycle. I, I think what they're trying to do is kind of interesting in that, like, they're trying to provide liquidity and leverage to these long tail assets. 
Um, I, I think we noticed that like with you know Uniswap and DeFi Summer in 2018, um, that like you know providing liquidity for these long tail assets is is very like I don't know I, I guess important. Uh, it, there's a lot of like societal utility for doing that. Um, so like pushing the curve on that, it, I think is like, it, you know, it does have a lot of product market fit amongst DGENs. Like right now, people just want liquidity on their, you know, meme coins, um, especially these longer tail ones. And they want leverage on them. Um, I looked into like the way they're doing that. They're kind of like doing a cross margin system, kind of like FTX try to do, where um, obviously like their liquidation engine is responsible for managing the risk for if these uh, tokens cascade. Um, but I believe the uh, OUSD and OX holders carry the risk. So I, I think their philosophy is that like we're going to let the market price this risk instead of trying to do it ourselves. Um, one of the biggest failures of FTX was that like they offered this amazing product, but at the end of the day, like the liquidation engine wasn't strong enough to handle like the cascading liquidations of Luna, which like left a giant hole in their books. Um, so we'll see if that like ends up being a limiting factor or a you know a helpful factor in their growth for OX. Um, but I think it's an interesting, you know, experiment. My main conclusion through uh, both Rollbit and, and Ox is that the value in crypto is really attention. And if you manage to grab attention, whether it's, you know, through having a large Twitter account or having this, you know, notoriety or being, you know, very brazen with uh, in, in, like, you know, attracting a lot of influencers like Rollbit did, you can win the game through that uh method because there are so many exchanges there are so many people doing similar things that the one that wins out is sometimes just the one that gets the like airtime and uh we're seeing both of those do extremely well i am a bit surprised that you know we were seeing already like a 700 million fdv on uh, uh on ox and i think even higher for rollbit at this point so um keep an eye on it you know these these things can blow hot and cold but right now um it's it's been surprising to me at least uh, how well some of these projects have done yeah but with that let's let's go to our uh, our, our last segment which is a new one that we're trying out it's called uh, what i'm bullish on and uh, i think everybody kind of brought one thing that they're that they're feeling bullish on right now um justin do you want to kick off with your what are you bullish on this week yeah sure i think this is an exciting one and and one most people probably haven't heard about so you guys are all probably familiar with Eigenlayer. It's this concept of restaking. Basically, you can deposit a staked ETH token, whether it's Steth, Coinbase staked ETH, Rocket Pool ETH, etc., into Eigenlayer. And then eventually you'll be able to basically agree to validate other maybe app chains, other conditions, etc. And you can get paid an additional yield on top of your LSD for doing that. So um, this is called restaking. It's sort of taking the crypto community by storm. There's only one project that's doing that right now, and it's called Eigenlayer. Uh, they just raised a monster round at a very high valuation, and they have, I believe, something like 45,000 ETH locked in their early beta test contract. So quite a big platform. Now, Stater, which is a liquid staking project, just announced that they're doing liquid restaked tokens, which is another layer on top of the Eigenlayer token. Uh, so now you're your receipt token for the Eigenlayer token will effectively be liquid. And now you can use that in other places in DeFi, whether it's a curve pool providing liquidity on Uniswap. And this is another way to sort of get your yield on top of ETH. So you have your your LSD uh, yield from staked ETH. So that's about 4%. Then you have another few percent from Eigenlayer, presumably maybe 3%, 4% for validating, let's say, another chain. 
And then on top of that, now that that token, that whole basket is liquid, you can now use that in any DeFi protocol, right? It's extremely composable. So there is, of course, some pushback here that this is uh, too much rehypothecation, and that very well may be true. But at the same time, this is certainly going to be a narrative that happens in the next cycle or when this really comes to fruition. I mean, people are always looking for more yield on ETH, and people are going to be using this. So I'm surprised it took this long for a project to announce that they're going to be supporting this. And I think um, it's I think it's a big story and a little undiscovered. And I think Stater is probably going to get some traction because of this. So for me, that's what I'm bullish on. Cool. That's quite an interesting one. I'm, I'm very curious to see how it plays out. Obviously, I've been hearing about the eigenlayer and the restaking. And, um, you know, my understanding is that the, the technology is probably going to be launched maybe early next year in reality. And there hasn't really been that much demand from apps yet in terms of requesting the security level of ETH stakers. Um, the the one thing that I've seen it being used is potentially for data availability for layer twos. So I think Mantle and Celo are two that have um, you know decided that they will use the eigenlayer kind of technology for that. Uh, but yeah, right now in terms of the yield fight between all the ETH staking components and the liquidity wrappers, I, I've talked to a lot of projects that are trying to uh, you know become a dominant version of uh, like you called it, like a receipt token or like a, a token that will be able to have liquidity and fungibility while also having the yield. And um, I don't know how it's going to play out, to be honest. I think Lido has has the initial advantage right now where they can just say that they're the only ones that really have tens of billions of TVL. But we might see Statter and some of these other ones create um, something that starts to catch up to it at some point. So that's that's an interesting one, one to watch out for. Uh, Taiki, how about you? What are you bullish on right now? Yeah, so similarly to how, how you know Stater uh, with liquid restaking, it should boost like the baseline rate uh, for ETH, right? Because if you can earn four to five percent in ETH, then there's like no reason for people to deploy ETH in other smart contracts to avoid like you know to like risk getting rugged. Um, and like what I'm bullish on, um, I guess broader term, like I'm super bullish DeFi now. Um, I think um, I talked about this in the first episode, but I think in order for more TVL to flow on chain, um, I think on chain stablecoin yields has to exceed that of the risk free rate um, in a safe and safe and sustainable manner. Um, and today uh, there was a proposal um, from Ave uh, that uh, is trying to list S Dai staked Dai as collateral. Um, MakerDAO, um, if you if you stake Dai um, in the, like the Dai savings rate, you can earn eight five percent. Um, so uh, you can use S Dai, which is like a liquid derivative of that as collateral borrow the Go stablecoin. Um, and right now the, the, the fixed borrow rate for Go is 1.5%. So now you can kind of clearly see like the path for DeFi stablecoin yields to you know approach 10%, 12% without even having to like take on too much risk. Of course there's risk because yeah, like if you're doing this, you're levering up your SDI, um, you're looping these strategies and whatnot. Um, but if your collateral is in this tokenized T-bill, um, you know, that's not going to be that volatile. Um, I think that's going to be a way for DeFi to slowly gain more T-bill and for stablecoin inflows to exceed that of outflows. Um, and if more stablecoins are coming into the space um, and less stablecoins are leaving the ecosystem, then naturally that just means there's more money within the crypto ecosystem to eventually pump and like buy our bags. Um, and I think, you know, this is like the beginning of the DeFi bull market. Um, this is like how reflexivity starts where, you know, like, if it, and if you also think about it, right, it's like, I kind of have this mental model where uh, Maker is kind of like the on-chain Federal Reserve um, because they get to set uh, the stablecoin rate. Um, if other DeFi protocols can't, 
you know, offer a yield of a 5%, then there's no reason for people to deploy stablecoins on there. Um, and, you know, like, I think Maker uh, and Rune, like he has like this whole end game uh, scenario in his head. And I'm still not sure how that's going to pan out. Um, but I think this is really good for the overall DeFi space. Um, it should also, you know, increase on-chain stablecoin yields, right? Because uh, if you can borrow USDC for 4%, stake it and die, then, you know, like people should do that, right? And arbitrage that rate. Um, and I think it's going to increase the amount of stablecoin velocity. So uh, this is interesting. I just want to understand, Takey. So, uh, so we know treasury yields are 5%. And, and I can see here, you know, we're talking about 5.8. And I've seen online that there's like an 8%. And my understanding is possibly because not everyone is staking the DAI. And, and so the people that are having DAI, but they're not staking it, are getting diluted by the people that are taking their yield? Or how does that work exactly? And, and where do you see the yield on this product uh, kind of coming down to once, once everybody is, uh, is using it properly? kind of relies on like the utilization rate of, I guess, the total amount of die that's staked. Um, and if not all die is being staked, then, you know, it's similarly to how if you're not staking USDC at Coinbase, you're effectively being diluted. Um, and the yield does come from like the on-chain, sorry, uh, tokenized T-bills that uh, this off-chain entity uh, that Maker works with is buying. Um, and that's where the yield comes from. Um, and I think, you know, over time, uh, there's been this trend of, like tokenized TVL projects just popping up here and there. Um, and this competition where like Ondo Finance has their new stablecoin called USDY, also paying 5%. Um, and I think that's going to be good for the entire like crypto space. Um, because if you can earn like 5% on DAI, then if you're LPing on like Uniswap or something, then like why would you LP for ETH USDC when you can LP for staked ETH, staked DAI? Uh, and that that's naturally going to improve like DeFi products moving forward. Um, so ho hopefully that answered your question. But I kind of see like this, you know, this trend shift with DeFi where we came from DGen yields, right? Like with printing tokens to now, okay, like we actually have a sustainable source of yield from eigenlayer like the restaking or just like you know pure staked from Lido um, and also like treasury yields um, and additional DeFi money Legos financial engineering on top of that should you know attract more and more capital um, from maybe like lower risk uh, appetite firms like TradFi, like from TradFi. And to be clear, so the, the extra yield, like there's people holding DAI that are not getting the 5%. They're not getting any income. And what Maker is doing is kind of saying, we're going to take all the DAI and there's people that are using DAI uh, without staking it because potentially, um, you know, that's it's easier for them. They just want to hold it as it is. I'm not quite sure exactly who these people are. They're going to understand who are these holders of DAI that are not getting the yield that are allowing other people to get it on, on their behalf? Um, is it just legacy people? Because, you know, I guess with Uniswap V2, we see a bunch of people that just get an LP and they just leave it and, and they don't touch it for, for a long time. Who are these people? Do you know? Oh, well, yeah. I guess it's like lazy people. And also, you know, DAI is integrated to other, like, projects um, where you can, you know, you can use DAI as collateral to farm some things. Um, it's like the similar question of if you can stake ETH for five, like four or 5%, then like, why isn't all ETH being staked? I think people have different risk tolerances. Um, and I think over time, like, you know, more and more ETH is going to be staked, more and more stable coins have to pass on yield to their token holders. Um, and it's kind of like the slow transition phase uh, where, you know, people on chain, like they should demand high yield for their assets, right? Otherwise being, they're being diluted. Um, and I think, you know, this slow trend is like what ultimately leads to, um, I guess, like a phase two of like a DeFi renaissance, which hopefully happens um, because I spend so much time in this space and like DeFi and whatnot. 
why did they decide to uh, only give it to stake die holders instead of just all die holders? Like, I feel like by staking in the contract, I, I think Hasu brought it up in a tweet that like it removes liquidity and like, I guess it kind of fragments it. it requires all these DeFi builders to you know support, let's say, a stake die and all their contracts. Like, why do you think they made that decision? Yeah. So this, so I guess there's two parts I can answer. So first of all, like you know, they're trying to gain adoption for SDI, and you know, Aave is listing in this collateral. Um, some people are starting to LP SDI with other stablecoins. Um, but part two of that to answer your question is, you know, this is how Rune, the founder of Maker, is trying to prepare for Endgame. Um, and Endgame is going to be like this thing where you know, Maker and Dai, they're going to just rebrand those tokens. There's going to be a token split, um, and within MakerDAO, there's like six sub DAOs, and they're all going to have tokens. And in order for you to farm those tokens, you need to stake Dai. Um, so it's Rune in his like forum post and whatnot has mentioned that he's just trying to prime the market to like, hey, you know, stake Dai here, um, and over time, like, we'll give you like more yield. Um, and I think like that's kind of like the slow process that he's trying to go for. Uh, I'm not sure if I agree with the whole Dai rebrand and like the Maker rebrand. I think there's like some Lindy there, uh, like having to like, introduce like a new token contract. Like I'm not sure really really what he's going for. Um, but you know, like who am I to like, judge him, right? Because he's like spending his, his entire life uh, trying to like grow this thing. Um, so that's kind of where the entire protocol is at. It's very interesting, and I agree. It's uh, something to look out for. Um, Thicky, I, I think uh, you might have an interesting one for us as well. Do you want to tell us what you're bullish about right now? So I, I have to caveat. I just nuked all my long positions right before the podcast started, so I'm not long this yet. I might not even go along it, but I, I think it's really fascinating. Um, so Shiba Inu has, uh, they're launching like Shibarium in, uh, I believe five days in a conference, which is supposed to be like their L2. Um, so this meme coin is, uh, you know, attempting to actually gain some utility. Um, it's up like, you know, 20% over the past month. So, you know, there's obviously some clear retail interest. If you go on YouTube and watch some of the videos and shorts being made, you know, there's a ton of you know hype about Shibarium. Um, I, I guess I just thought it was really interesting reading about Shiba culture as someone who like, I guess was kind of late to Shiba. They, uh, so initially they put 50% liquidity in the Uniswap pool and they put, they gave 50% to Vitalik and like very famously Vitalik decided to donate some of it and then like burn the rest. Then after he burned it, um, you know, the price went up a ton because like 40% of the all circulating supply left the market. Um, but this kind of created like some culture of like burning SHIB in order to reduce supply to get to one cent. Um, people like a bunch of people were asking like, is Shibarium going to increase the burn rate? And I did a bunch of research and like, what, like, are they going to like burn SHIB for gas? Like, where are they getting these projections from? It turns out they are going to burn half of a cent for, of SHIB for every transaction, but their burn rate projections are purely based on people like basically just sending their SHIB into a dead address like it's part of their culture just to send the ship into a wallet and uh before every like significant event like they will burn a bunch of ship so if you go to the coin gecko link and hover over that question mark like all of these events just, just like i was asking taiki like who are these people that have died but they're not getting the yield on it uh you know <laughs> the, the people that are involved in this thing that are just burning their tokens it reminds me it was uh i was watching some uh, interview of this only fans girl I think she was on uh, Jake Paul and she was describing how people, you know, some of her fans are sending her pictures of themselves like on all fours with their credit card in their mouths. And there's, you know, there's this weird like people that want to get like financially dominated 
I don't know. You know, I'm sure some of <laughs> some of our viewers might be into the fin, fin domination, as it's called. Um, <laughs> you know, fin dom. I, I I don't know exactly like where it comes from, but it, are are we seeing like with Shibarium and Shiba? Is this just a global fin dom? You know, appearance. Is that what's going on? I, I think so. I think as Taiki mentioned about the social tokens, like I think especially in sort of like a post-religious world where everyone is pretty agnostic, like, you know, we look to these kind of cultish things to like get that sense of community, even though they may be kind of like absurd looking in. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, also like if they launch like Shibarium, like isn't that kind of bearish the token? Isn't the whole point of a token to have no utility and have that be a meme? Um, and like as soon as you... Like have some utility for a token. I feel like, you know, I mean, yeah. I, what, what do you think about like that, right? As like a shiv holder, like, do you want shiv to launch its its own chain? Um, the, the whole burn thing is pretty funny, and like, Findom as a sector, like, I'm pretty bullish on that, right? <laughs> I feel like that's going to become <laughs> like a bigger sector over time. Um, yeah, yeah. Elon always says like the most entertaining outcome is the most likely. So you know, maybe yeah. the next derivative of OnlyFans is like Findom. <laughs> Findom characters, who knows? Yeah, well, they have Bone already. They have Treat, they have Leech, and they have um, She. So they're launching four more tokens, which should be like kind of diverting capital from SHIB. Um, it could very well be to sell the news. I mean, there's a bunch of like games and metaverse stuff that they're, there's stuff to hope for in the future. But um, yeah, who knows? Very interesting to watch. Cool. Well, uh... You know, I can't say I'm too bullish seeing the 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 FTV is still nine nine point nine billion, <laughs> but uh, maybe maybe it's all burned. Bro. It's all burned. <laughs> well, That's burned. Okay, the market cap is fully maybe. circulated. I remember seeing like crypto. Um, what, you know, once all the exchanges put out their their financial reserves because they wanted to show that they're liquid. And I remember crypto.com. There there was like some absurdly uh, high percentage of Shiba Inu was in their reserve, like. Like nine, ten figures of Shiba Inu, basically. So, you know, it's out there. People are holding it, and we'll see what happens to it. Um, but uh, yeah, as as a short term narrative, it's it's an interesting one to look out for. Cool. And uh, I'll tell you guys what you know. The boomer is bullish on, and uh, I don't know if you can guess, but I am bullish on Microsoft Azure. So Microsoft Azure, guys, AI tools and cloud blockchain. So um, I think we saw a very interesting pump in the last couple of days, which was Aptos coming back from the dead. And uh, I think you put it very well with your uh, tweet, Thicky, that, you know, there are no safe shorts. This thing was looking dead. Uh, we, can, we can bring up the chart, but uh, this was one of the most sideways kind of, after the, the initial uh, Korea Upbit related pump that we had when Aptos first launched, it, you know, it had kind of become a dead coin. Up until they announced that they are using Microsoft AI technology, you know, when we saw this uh, this headline from Tree of Alpha, it just touches all the all the keywords. You know, all the bots are trading on AI and partnership. Microsoft it just has all the plethora, and then you look at the fine print. And all that's happening is like Aptos is like using Microsoft products, but the way that they describe it is as if, you know, we're going to see these AI gods appear from the Aptos blockchain. 
So uh, if if Microsoft has the ability to to create such hype, um, you know, with uh, with one click of of purchasing a cloud program, uh, <laughs> um, you know, I'm bullish. I'm bullish Aptos, uh, but not as bullish as I am Microsoft. I think that's the real that's the real story here. The real winner. <laughs> that's the real winner. <laughs> And uh, yeah, this is a top comment on that tweet. It says FTT would not have blown up if San had known that simple trick. <laughs> yeah, you have to time it right. Just just when you need it. Just when you need it. Yeah. I, so Avax ran this similar playbook back in January. They announced an AWS partnership, and it like went up two x. And it's just like, oh yeah, we're using we're, we're using the cloud. <laughs> Guys, uh, I have an announcement to make. So Cellini Capital is partnering with Apple. We have bought <laughs> Apple. <laughs> So everybody has a MacBook now. Let's let's pump that price. Wait, where's the token? You know we're ra- you know we're raising our round. So uh, hopefully uh, this news will increase our valuation that we're about to announce. Cool. All right. Well, it's uh, it's been a nice first segment of what I'm bullish on. I think next week we'll go back to uh, looking at some Degen plays, but we'll make these recurring segments as well. So thanks everybody for joining, and see you next week. Bye, everyone.